Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of Army Staff Sergeant Travis Atkins. Atkins was serving with Delta Company, part of the 2nd Battalion, 14th Infantry Regiment, rolled up under the 2nd Brigade Combat Team of the 10th Mountain Division. It's a mouthful there. Um, the time period we're going to talk about is in June of 2007, in and around Baghdad, Iraq. Now, June 2007 in Baghdad is right at the very beginning of the troop surge in 2007. So to back up and give a little context on the Iraq war, coalition forces invaded Iraq in March of 2003. And in about a five-week window, I think is about the right time period there, the Iraqi government fell, the Iraqi military fell under Saddam Hussein. And many of the leaders, political military, went in hiding, were captured, killed um, over a period of a couple months there. And pretty soon after... You know, we really placed, we, the coalition, I, I'm going to say at this point, placed a lot of weight on Saddam, Saddam and his military and the Ba'ath Party, thinking that this is the group that's causing the problems. This is the leadership structure that is threatening the region, that is um, oppressing the people at times. I mean, there were some pretty brutal conditions under Saddam, all things considered, that have well, we'll dive into that in a second. And I think we really viewed Saddam and his close group as being the problem. Or, And I think looking back, we'll say that it was a problem, um, but removing that problem or, or resolving that problem in one sense kind of opened the door to other problems that we, the United States and, and parts of Iraq, I think, weren't, weren't ready to take on, if you will. So Right after the invasion, as the formal Iraqi military resistance falls, you start to see some insurgencies kick up around the country. And we spent a while trying to figure out, what is this we're fighting? Is this Are these remnants of the Iraqi military? Are they folks that wish Saddam was still in power? And you know, for, for six months there, Saddam wasn't captured. Longer than that, I think it was nine months. Saddam wasn't captured. So... Are they are there holdouts thinking that the U.S. and the coalition is going to leave very quickly here, and they they want to make sure that they're going to be on the right side of history when Saddam comes back to power? That was a narrative for a little while. A lot of narratives in that vein of who exactly is it that we're fighting? But there were also local insurgencies. Um, by 2004, we started to see a little bit more of start maybe started to recognize is a better way to say it a little bit more of an international jihadi network that was coming into Iraq and. One thing we would see in Iraq, especially in Anbar province in the West, was a pipeline of fighters moving from around the world, generally the Middle East, but really around the world, into Iraq because it's full of targets. These are people that are interested in, in killing Americans and killing Western killing Westerners. It's a small subset, right? I'm not talking about a, a giant group here, but right now you've got Americans and Westerners occupying a a Middle Eastern country, an Arab country, it was a rallying cry for folks around the world in that line of thinking. So you started to see more foreign fighters show up in 2004 and, and with the battle of, 
of uh, Fallujah in 2004, we really started to see maybe there's this shift towards more of an international jihad, international insurgency going on with the creation and really standing up of Al-Qaeda in Iraq and some of those subset groups. But as we, you know, it's almost like we couldn't quite nail down what was happening, which I think is fair to say, because this was a really complex conflict. Even today, looking back, it's really hard to parse out exactly how things transpired and why. But as we're, you know, keeping our eyes on a couple things to, to sum it up, really, really our eyes are on hundreds of things at once, but we're trying to stand up the formal Iraqi government and structure and infrastructure within the country because we don't want to be there. Remember, it's, it's I was just reading a story about the first battle of Ramadi earlier today, and it was talking about how folks were getting ready to leave in 2004. The goal was not to be there for very long. The goal was to hand this over to the Iraqis, hand it back to the Iraqis very, very quickly. You know, it's get rid of Saddam, get rid of the Ba'ath Party, give it to the people of Iraq and start to move out. Of course, that didn't happen. And here we are 17 years later with a level of involvement still in Iraq. But as we're focused on standing up the Iraqi government and infrastructure and battling this foreign jihadi, you know, group of, of, well, groups of groups and fighters coming in, especially through Anbar, something else starts to foment under the surface. And that's going to be a sectarian civil war within Iraq. And I don't think we recognized it as early as we could have. And I think that's one of the challenges or maybe one of the arguments for not being involved in countries where we maybe don't have the full understanding of what's going on on the ground. Um, nonetheless, by 2006, there is a pretty sizable sectarian civil war between Sunni and Shia going on in Iraq. Now, the United States, the foreigners in this country, are finding themselves in this spot where they have, they're being attacked, we are being attacked by Sunni jihadis, local Iraqi Sunnis that don't like the Iraqi Shia, Iraqi and sometimes Iranian Shia that don't like the Sunni. And the United States is just in the middle and, and our allies at the time kind of catching it from all sides. It's a nasty part of the war in a lot of ways. This really saw the rise of a lot of indiscriminate suicide bombings, car bombs and, and, and vests and belts that were taking place across Iraq starting to target more and more civilians. It was a nasty time in the conflict, nasty time for Americans, nasty time for Iraqis, nasty time for anybody in that country, unfortunately. So one of the ideas at the time as, you know, remember we're only supposed to be in Iraq for a short period of time. So one of the solutions ends up on the, we're going to put it in the, the political camp of warfare, which is a part of warfare that you have to include at all times is this short-term um, surge. You're going to hear the term surge in Iraq right now, and you're going to hear it in Afghanistan later. And the idea is we can just surge over the finish line and knock this thing out right now. We'll just provide a little more manpower, a little more resources, a little more attention. We'll get this thing taken care of, and then we can come home. So surge is going to be a popular term, popular strategy in both of the conflicts. And it's going to be in 2006 that the surge is developed. The idea being this conflict is starting to get a little out of control 
and maybe we don't have the people on the ground that we need. Let's put more people on the ground. Let's flood the country. Let's surge the country with troops in some of the most hotly contested areas. So at a high level, if, if your city is experiencing a lot of shootings, if you put a cop on every street corner for six months, maybe that does something. Hopefully it doesn't hurt, but that's kind of the idea. Let's, let's flood the country with more troops. And what we settle in on is going to be 28,000 additional American troops. It's going to push the total number of Americans in country in the ballpark of about 160,000. It's going to be the peak in 2007 of American involvement on the ground in Iraq. And they're going to do this a couple of ways. There's going to be units activated. Well, not activated. They're going to be um, tagged with deploying for a period of time, army and Marine units, mostly ground holding units. Um, and then there's going to be units in Iraq that are asked to extend. And I had a lot of friends that went through that. I did not. And I can't imagine that news. I can't imagine going that's to, to be on the countdown of coming home and get the news that you're being extended six months or even a month would be, would be a leadership challenge to say the least. But nonetheless, by July of 2007, all of the surge troops should be in Iraq and they can really start getting after some of these initiatives to, to hopefully quell the sectarian violence taking part all across the country. Now, Staff Sergeant Atkins and his unit are in Iraq as this is, as this buildup is happening, and they're conducting a lot of missions. One of those is going to be called route clearance. Route clearance is really took form. Well, at its simplest form, it's clearing military um, quarters of movement, if you will, for of, of mines and today IEDs. And, and historically, it's been a task that's fallen to the engineers. But as the prevalence of IEDs, improvised explosive devices, has, has popped up across battlefields in Iraq and Afghanistan, you see just about everybody doing route clearance. You see artillerymen tasked with route clearance. You see infantrymen tasked with route clearance. And you see, you know, it, it ends up being part of just what you do. You have to clear these routes of their bombs, not just for the sake of, of your patrols, but for the sake of the local population. So route clearance is a pretty popular job, even for somebody like Staff Sergeant Atkins, who's in an infantry battalion. They're going to be doing some degree of route clearance, usually not with the same high quality equipment that engineers would be using, but nonetheless effective to a degree. They are out on June 1st, 2007, conducting route clearance a little southwest of Baghdad in an area known as Abu Samak, A-B-U-S-A-M-A-K, which I probably mispronounced. During their route clearance mission, they get a call that there are a couple folks not far away from them acting suspicious in an area known to have insurgent activity. Will you go take a look? So they're in a couple Humvees. They, they jump in, they head to this location. And as they get there, they see a couple guys that are acting strange. And this is something when you're fighting in these urban environments and you're, you're trying to win or at least compete for the support of the people, it's the type of thing you have to be on the lookout for. Nobody's walking the streets with an AK-47, especially not when there's American or Iraqi police military nearby. So you got to be on the lookout for other things. What's out of the ordinary? Who doesn't look like they belong? Who's confused? And you've seen this. When you're walking around the streets, 
you can see, or, or driving somewhere, driving is maybe a good example. You know when you're behind somebody who doesn't know where they're going. They make weird stops. They're cutting across lanes. That, that is what soldiers are often on the lookout for because what it, it's a couple things. The person might be nervous or panicking. They also might be not from that area. And as we're dealing with a lot of issues in Iraq, foreign fighters and sectarian violence, you're often seeing people attack in areas that they don't live. So they're not blowing up car bombs in their neighborhood. They're going to another neighborhood where they might not have spent a lot of time. So when you see somebody like Staff Sergeant Atkins sees kind of confusingly walking around the streets and, and a little bit erratic, it sends some alarms off. So he exits his, exits his vehicle with three of his soldiers and they move forward to these two guys that are walking around in the streets and they start calling out to him. I start calling out to him, trying to get their attention, and they're already acting a little bit evasive. And, you know, what does evasive look like when you have soldiers coming at you with guns? Well, maybe turning around, walking the other way, kind of blowing them off, not listening. Now, it's a different language. It's a different culture. But we've been in Iraq for four years. There are ways to cooperate, and there are ways to look evasive. These guys look evasive. Something is up. They get closer. And as they near these men, they decide they're going, to get, they're going to conduct a search. Are they hiding something? Now, they're not wearing you know T-shirts and jeans. They're going to be wearing little baggier clothing, which makes it easy to hide things underneath those. So Atkins and his men start attempting to search these guys. And they become violent. They become aggressive. They start pushing back, and it quickly turns into, um, I want to say fight. Maybe grappling is a better way to put it. Again, this is the type of scenario that you've, you've seen on the TV seen on TV with police officers. Think when somebody's going to be arrested and they start to resist arrest and the police officers become a little, become aggressive, become violent and and have to move a little bit more in the camp of detaining. So that's the stage that we're at right now with Staff Sergeant Atkins and three of his soldiers as they're addressing two men in the streets just outside of Baghdad. As they are start, as they are becoming a little bit aggressive, Atkins sees one of the men start to reach into his clothing, reaching for something. Not a good sign, right? There's not a good scenario that comes out of that. What Atkins recognizes at this time is what the guy's reaching for is the trigger to a suicide vest. So without hesitation, Atkins bear hugs the man, pins his arms to the side, and tackles him to the ground. Now, as he gets the man on the ground, he lays on top of him to you know, should something happen, he's at least shielding his guys from, well, you know, I say, should something happen? The thing that's going to happen is that that vest is going to detonate. If that happens right now, Atkins wants to make sure that he's doing his best to shield his guys from that blast. And that's what happens. As they get to the ground, Atkins is doing his best to pin him down and and stop his hands and his arms from moving to detonate the vest. And, and uh, the enemy does. Blows himself up, blows himself up, kills Atkins instantly. But because he was laying on top of him, because he was pinning him to the ground and holding him away from his soldiers, the three soldiers with Atkins survived. Now, in this momentary chaos that is a person blowing themselves up with another person on top of them, you can see how that would would cause some level of chaos and 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 disorganization and, and be loud and, and 
at that moment, this other man reaches inside his clothing. But because Atkins had saved those three soldiers that he was with, they they were able to see it. They looked up, shot the man dead before he was able to detonate his vest. And he was very close to doing that. Had Atkins not tackled that man, those two could have detonated their vest, killing all four American soldiers. Instead, because of the, the incredibly fast thinking and selfless act of tackling this guy, think about that. Think about you see somebody with a bomb strapped to their chest. Everything in your gut says run. Everything in your gut says get out of there. But not Staff Sergeant, uh, Staff Sergeant Travis Atkins. He tackled the guy, moved towards it, and pinned him down so his guys could, if they needed to, run. For this act, Staff Sergeant Travis Atkins' family would be, well, so the right way to say it is Atkins would be awarded posthumously the Medal of Honor. His family and his son would receive that medal, receive that recognition in 2019 for Staff Sergeant Atkins Act acts on June 1st, 2007, just outside Baghdad, Iraq, jumping on, tackling, pinning to the ground, and jumping on a suicide bomber to save the lives of three of his men. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.